developing a Christian worldview, just to kind of, we're in part seven, kind of recap what we've done in six parts. The whole idea of a worldview, it's how you look at the world. Uh, do, we, do we look at the world like God wants us to, or do we kind of just use him where we want or not use him at all? And as we went through the first few weeks, we looked at a Christian worldview is really a biblical worldview, and a biblical worldview is really thinking like Jesus. And so that's really what this comes down to. And, and, and part of the way we do that is we, we try to understand the world around us and what the Bible tells us. And the way George Barna did it, which is the way this sermon series is patterned after, was the seven questions. And we've looked at a couple of them already. The first one was, does God exist? Uh, which uh, we went into why we have good reasons to believe that. And a lot of this, as you, as you go to a sermon, yes, this is worship. We want to become better disciples ourselves. But some of this particular series is how can I uh, be a better witness, ambassador for Jesus as I, I go through these things. So that was two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at what was God like. And I think we had like 40 different scriptures that we went through looking at what is God like. Uh, and we're talking here, obviously, about the Christian God, the Judeo-Christian God, Yahweh, who comes in the person of Jesus, which we just celebrated at communion. So we have a good idea what God is like. I showed you that really the main attribute you need to start with is the attribute of holiness, knowing that he is perfect and we are not, which makes the cross make so much more significance because a perfect God sent his perfect son to die a perfect death so that we could be perfected. Uh, it's kind of a, a good way uh, to do it. So when you look at that, uh, it helps you know the background, holiness, love, uh, his grace, his mercy, his power is able to know all things, have unlimited knowledge, unlimited power, and now we look at the next question, how and why was the world created? This is a big one in our culture today, isn't it? Uh, it's a question a lot of people ask, right? Why are we here? I'm not talking about like here. Hope you're here because you want to worship. But uh, why are we here? What, what do we, what's our purpose? You know, that's a, and you think about that, that's it. Your belief regarding the beginning of the physical world and how it is sustained will affect everything in your understanding of purpose, truth, morality, sin, forgiveness. You know, it is kind of silly sometimes the way we talk past each other in our culture. When we have different views of how things started, you're going to have different views of what things mean and why we ought to do something. It's very hard to get an ought out of an, ac or out of an accident. You know, it's one thing to say we should do something. Well, why should we do it? Because somebody bigger than us tells us to, or is there something deeper than that? Well, the universe. This is a one that we, we have to look at. We've, you don't have to go very far in the Bible, right, to find how the Christian view of how the world became. But sometimes I think we, we forget that. How was it created? Genesis 1 tells us, but you know there are 20 other, at least 20 other texts about creation in the Bible? both in the Old Testament and the New. If you stay only in Genesis 1, you don't get the full picture by any means of the awesomeness of it. And then Genesis 1 is pretty darn awesome. I'm not saying that. But, you know, Job 37 through 39, lots of creation stuff. Proverbs 8, Psalm 104. We're going to look at a few others. There's a lot of information in the Bible about how it was created. But when we look at that, the main thing we want to, it's created out of nothing. That's something that 
You learn uh, the old uh, Latin term ex nihilo if you wanted to impress your friends, although that probably won't impress them. Uh, Ex nihilo, out of nothing. You know, you think about how silly it would if it wasn't that way. If we believe in an eternal, and we remember last, one of the essence of of God is his spirit, right? He's not physical. When, When God eternally existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as a non-physical, powerful being, he didn't have some here that he used to make more stuff. That, then where'd that stuff come from? See the problem? You get this infinite regress. It all makes sense logically and theologically if you just say you have an infinite being that always exists, started a physical universe. And that's what the Bible says. Remember how Genesis 1 reads? In the beginning, God. You can quit there for a while if you want. <laughs> In the beginning, God. That's the idea. It's logical, it's theological, it makes so much sense. We see this in Hebrews, too, about how he did it. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And how did he do it? He willed it into existence. You know, God spoke, and it happened. He wanted it to be created, and it was. Now, how did he do that when he spoke? How did that all, I don't know. Uh, we, we try, it's, you know, science tries to help us with that. We'll look into that a little bit. But uh, God, when God speaks, things happen. I guess he's pretty good at that, pretty powerful. Uh, now, one of the things we have to remember about Genesis is, and in, in, in the other ones, they're not scientific texts. They're not supposed to give us scientific answers, although they're not anti-science by any means. And they're not certainly myth either, which is what some people call them. And what does the Bible show? And what should we agree on is the, bo- the universe has order. We can see that. I mean, you can go back to the star thing. It's like you think about it, um, even uh, Elon Musk can make a rocket now to head out into space, and we can hit the moon, and we can hit Mars. How do we do that? I mean, think about it. If you're a scientist, and they said, well, some of the times Mars goes this fast, and other times it slows down, and you know, it's just really hard to hit. It's like trying to hit a duck with a rifle. It's hard because they, you know, flatline, then they slow down, you know. That's not the way it works. It's very uniform. How can they launch this rocket and go millions of miles and hit exactly where they want to because they know how it moves? It's ordered. It has function. Obviously, we see the functions of things. You know, you, you learn about all the different things that happen. And beauty. This is one that science can't touch, right? You know, you go out and you... You know, I took a walk around Yellow Smoke. You look at some of the flowers and the birds and stuff, and it's like, why are they so colorful? And we can go down to, well, they need this for this and that, but it's just pretty. Is that okay? Can we just say that? (laughs) It's beauty. You know, you might hear a song, and you may not be able to say, well, I really liked what key you played it in and all that. Then that's fine if you're a musician, but some of us say, I just like the tune. Why? Well, makes me feel good. I can sing it. Whatever. Beauty. Wonder, that's there too. And, and science, yeah, how do you measure? You know, how do you do that? I know we have beauty pageants, but that's kind of silly as far as trying to measure beauty anyway. Because beauty is in the eye of the beholder, we say, in some cases. But uh, there's intrinsic quality there. But that's the thing. You don't try to measure it. You know, you just enjoy it and thank God for it. And the Bible never varies from this. It's continually 
lifted up in the scriptures. You go back to Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He's talking about all the celestial bodies. It's kind of cool. Written 700 years before Jesus in here. It's almost a little scientific, but it's mostly just worshipful. Ephesians 3, the unsearchable riches of Christ bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You know, what do you go to the mat for? God created. You're going to go to the mat for that. And we get this in John 1, which gives us a lot about who Jesus is, because in the Old Testament, who creates everything? Yahweh. All things were made through the word, which we find out is Jesus, and without him was not anything that was made. So now we have a, something, a function of Yahweh that Jesus did. Well, then who's Jesus? It's not that hard. He's Yahweh. He's, lack of a better term, a second Yahweh. They actually, have, actually, actually a third one, too. We see at Pentecost. So it's just over and over again. This is something, as, you, as I say, you go to the map for. God created. We can argue about how, when, how long it took, all that. We can argue for that forever. In fact, that's kind of fun. But where we go to the mat is that he created. So the Bible is clear on this. And science is far from settled. We, we miss this. I don't know if you knew this, but most scientists who are looking at this type of stuff uh, are looking for new, they're looking for new theories because they know the old ones are, did, did not quite work out. That's the way science works, right? You try something, it's like, well, that doesn't seem to work. We need to rehypothesize but it becomes political and ideological and all these other things, and that's why we have. But we're looking at evolution. We hear that term. And if you've been in one of my classes, one of the questions you should always ask is, what do you mean by that? Very tactical. Because it can mean multiple things. Here we're just going to look at two of the meanings. But evolution, because somebody will say, do you believe in evolution? I've heard people say that. And I always say the same thing. What do you mean by evolution? Because if you mean one thing, I'll say yes. If you say another thing, I'll say no. And what are the things I would say yes to? Well, the thing I would say yes to is microevolution, um, which if you go back what evolution at its core a lot of times is it's organisms changing. And if you go back to Darwin through what? Natural selection. You know, that's what evolution's supposed to be, evolving. You know, Darwin was 1859 when he wrote Origin of Species, um, interesting book, uh, if you haven't read it. It's kind of an interesting read. But you, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Darwin, you know, nothing against Darwin as far as his scientific knowledge. He thought cells were just like egg yolks. He obviously didn't understand what DNA was. He didn't understand what genetics were. That came just a little bit later by a, a, a monk who was also a scientist, Gregor Mendel, uh, an Austrian guy in 1866 came out, you know, the idea that genes, you know, you can see that, you know, you do farmers, you got hybrids and all this kind of stuff. We know how to work with those some. And, that, and so his theory did not have genetic mutation in it. Why? Because nobody had heard of that yet. His was just pretty much natural selection. But all, all that he could do was what we call microevolution. Remember, he goes to the Galapagos and he sees all this stuff, you know, and... It's a, I've seen the documentaries. It is kind of cool. There's some weird creatures there. I always think God, you know, all you have to do is look at the platypus, and you know God has a sense of humor, right? It's like, you know, they always say, well, God, you know, I don't know, you know obviously this isn't true, but, you know, God's like, well, I want to create one more creature, but all I have is I got a spare parts. 
<laughs> got kind of a beaver thing here and a duck bill, and yeah, let's go with a platypus and see how that works. Uh, but, you know, they're just, it's a wonder. You know, it's the thing that, that you look at. But what's microevolution? So, microevolution is pre-existing. I know this is scientific, and I'm a scientific geek to some extent, so sorry about that, but hey, I, I got the mic. <laughs> pre-existing genetic information, stuff that's already there. All that microevolution is that it, it, it gets rearranged through reproduction and mutations to produce small-scale changes. This is not controversial. Everybody believes this. Why? Because the evidence is so overwhelming. I mean, breed dogs. I mean, you, you, and we could do this. Uh, Well-documented, naturally occurring. This is where, where you have, I don't know if you remember the finches from, and people use this as a defeater. I think it's kind of funny because they obviously don't understand evolution when they do this. You know, the, the finch beaks, you remember? I don't know if you remember that. It's in the uh, origin of species. It's the idea of... In the Galapagos, the, it seemed like when they needed to get deeper into the plant, the beaks got longer because of weather. And when they didn't need it, the beaks would, the, the next generation of beaks would get smaller. And so what, what Darwin did, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, he extrapolated that out. But that's microevolution, folks. And you know what we found out from that, how that really works? You can get this from uh, Stephen Meyer in his book, Signature in the Cell. The way that works is, you know, we got this DNA stuff. All of us have that. And if you didn't, you know, just a little primer on that. Genes are just part of that. You know, you can see it, right? This helix. You know, maybe I should put it on there. But genes are just part of that. It gets passed down. It's the genetic things that come through. Well, what we found out, there's a latent gene there that gets turned off or on by weather. Now, you can say that it evolved, which would just be a theory, or you can say it was created that way which I guess is somewhat a theory, but it sure makes sense. That's what I think. I think God created the DNA in those finches that when the humidity was high and the plants grew a certain way, the beak would, that would turn off and the beak would stay short because they didn't need them. And they were able to do other things with those beaks. And then if the weather changed, they were able, you know, it just turns on and off. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. And we see that. That's fine. So if somebody says, do you believe in evolution? Well, yeah, this. I mean, it's proven that things change. And they, some people get, you know, I don't even know, even humans, right? What's the average height for a dude now in the NBA? No, I'm just Used to be, if you're a point guard, you remember, it was, it was you'd be like six foot, right? Now they got point guards are 6'10". But even at the average height of a person from like the time of Jesus to, has gone up. But I look around and you're all just as human as he was. Right? You don't change species, you just change some attributes, right? That's microevolution. And that's it's something we can use. Nutrition, all types of things, and we can select with animals and plants and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, you know. I don't know, rodeo, you take a couple cows, you end up getting a sheep. Still comes out cow, doesn't it? Just seems to work that way. And from what I understand, I'm no animal dude like that, but if you take a, a horse and a donkey and you have a Mule, am I right there? You can gong me if I'm wrong, because I'm... <laughs> what if you try to take two mules and have a mule? What happens? You get zip. I mean, I don't, and maybe someday we'll figure it out, but it's kind of like God's like, good shot. <laughs> I'll let you do the mule thing, but we ain't going any farther than that. If you take interspecies there, they can't reproduce. It's kind of interesting. We can't even make uh, you know, that work, let alone a whole new species. But what's macroevolution? And this is what people are usually talking about, macroevolution. This is more controversial, 
It's the theoretical extrapolation of microevolution that requires the introduction of new genetic information. So you got your stuff, and then somewhere out of the cosmos comes more stuff. Where does that stuff come from? Well, it really doesn't tell us. Um, I, I remember as a, a kid in eighth grade watching a Mr. Peter's uh, uh, science class and watching the films, uh, and I remember how they, they told it in that film. Time happens. I think I'm going to tell my person who has my mortgage that. You didn't pay your mortgage. Well, time happens. Well, that's good. Time will happen. It'll show up, right? Yeah, good luck with that. Um, time is, is wonderful. It's great, but it doesn't do much. <laughs> you just sat there. This is called the neo, which just means new. Darwinian synthesis because Darwin couldn't have thought it out because we didn't have the genetic stuff yet. But it's got two big problems. And you know, you know what a theist is, right? A theist is someone who believes in a theos, which is God. So what's an atheist? Someone who doesn't believe in God. That's what A means not. So what's biogenesis is life coming. Abiogenesis means life coming from non-life. So you got nothing, and all of a sudden you get life. This is a big problem for microevolution. Darwin never talks about it. We have, they have no idea how that happened. Other than time happened. And then increased complexity, you, you're getting all this extra stuff and you're getting some genes turned into new genes. It's like, wow, this is cool. Where'd it come from? Oh, I don't know. Those are really big problems where you can get enough genetic internet to turn a banana into a giraffe. Well, there's middle there, but and I don't know. Technically, the bananas probably just make better bananas, but, but, uh, but this is, neither one of these have been proven. And again, this is not to, to, to get mad at science. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is just the truth. They have no idea where it started. So the way Greg Kokel and uh, Stan Reason puts it, it's, uh, you know, evolution, macroevolution is a really good theory, except we don't know how we get into the game. We don't know how to play the game. But other than that, it's pretty good. It's not good. That's why you have most molecular biologists are looking for new theories. And sometimes you do. I do that. I step back and I'm like, got one. <laughs> and you go to Discovery Institute, you know, d intelligent design. That makes a lot of sense. Science is what that points to, you know. It's the old idea you go to a, you go to a beach and you see your name written in the sand. Is the first thing you think of is, boy, that, what are the chances that a bunch, you know, the sand came up and it made my name? What do you think? Somebody wrote that, right? Intelligence. But then we look at DNA, which has 300 billion instructions in this little bitty code that we can't even see because we don't have the ability. Information at a level we can't even understand. And we don't go to intelligence, which seems somewhat, to me, somewhat unintelligent. Maybe even, dare I say, dull. You know? I don't want to use the S word. That's, that's not me. That's me. So other issues with this. Entropy, you know, things, you know, I don't know about you, but if you leave your tractor outside for 16 years, does it get better? Yeah. Do you, if you don't dust your house for six weeks, does it get less dusty? Things just tend to, to wind down. Entropy is usually about heat death, but it's, you know, things fizzle out. They decay. Fossil evidence. We've been listening for the missing link since I can remember. We ain't found him yet. You know, that Sasquatch with the, with the beef jerky, that's not him. Limited adaptation, no evidence of one species adapting to another. We have no evidence of that, that we have a, you know, a, 
a Pomeranian turn into an elephant or however it works? Nothing. Zero. This is a bad theory. We found that out. Incom irreducible complexity. It sounds really cool. It's that some things are, some biological mechanisms are so complex that you have to have them all to work so evolution over time won't do it. The eye is one of those. If you just have an iris, but you don't have the rest of it, it, you can't see anything. So how could it, by succeeding, you know, this got, you know, this little animal had this, and you know, the mouse trap is the one they use. It's like, you know, you can have, if you just have a little thing, a, a stick of wood, and you put it out there, and the mouse is going to laugh at you, right? And if you just have a little spring there, the mouse is probably laugh a little harder. And if you have a little stick, you have to have them all together at the same time, which biologically is almost miraculous. It's almost like somebody created this eye. That's what I think. So, the Genesis account doesn't explain everything either. It's not supposed to. We put it into service, you know, too much sometimes. What is it supposed to be doing? When we've looked at it, it tells us that there's purpose in the world. We were created in God's image. We're here for a reason. That God did it, and he gave us everything we need. That's the good thing to start. We can argue about the rest of it if you want. That's, that's fun. We're to trust that it gives us what we need. That's what Jesus asked us. It really does come back to him, right? Haven't you read, he said, in the beginning, God created them male and female. And he thought that's the way it worked. We might want to listen. And we're finding all this evidence that essentially it kind of did work that way. <laughs> it keeps fighting to that. But we keep pushing against it. But what's the Bible say? It says, you know, look around, explore, test, prove, see the order. You know, all those they call them all the cosmological constants. If gravity was just a little off, if the speed of life wasn't quite work, if our 23% tent was 22%, if we didn't have the moon in the right space at the right size, all that stuff has to happen. We have to have the electromagnetic field just be right. The Earth's crust has to move at just the right order. It has to be, I mean, all this stuff is designed, one would say, wouldn't it? We're a lot of luck. <laughs> yeah, astronomical luck. So no, we shouldn't bury our head in the sand with this stuff. But what do we do? We should use, we should read, we should test, we should reason. If any of you younger kids or even older can want to be a scientist, be one. That, that's something that we should be proud of because science and faith are not opposites. But go into it looking for truth and being humble because you're before a holy God. Whatever you do, whether it's science or baseball or gardening or cement laying or advertisement, bench-putting-togethering, do it for the glory of God. I mean, do it for Him, and, and you can do that. If you're gifted in that, do that. Because what, what science and faith are both based on evidence. We had that in John 20. If I wrote everything, you wouldn't even hardly have enough room for this stuff, but these are written to give you evidence of Jesus so that you will believe and have life in His name. There's no such thing as blind faith. That's silly. It's always, faith is by definition based on evidence. We have plenty of it. Whether it's compelling to you is up to you, right? So, you think about it, almost every scientific finding was founded by a theist. Somebody who believes in God. Newton, Copernicus, Galileo, all those guys, theists. Even Aristotle and Plato were kind of theists, different the, <laughs> theos, but still theists. Most of these were Christian, but we must look for truth in anything. If, we, if, if an atheist finds the cure for cancer, I, I think you should give it a shot. Proverbs puts it well. Whoever speaks the truth gives us honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. And that's part of the problem with macroevolution, and we sometimes don't tell the truth, right? 
There's not a lot of evidence for this stuff. And if there is, I don't think it ch- would change me. I mean, God could have used it if he wanted to, right? Could have God taken and then in little pieces helped things evolve? Sure. There's just no evidence of it. That's the problem. I don't know, change my faith any if we found out it was true, but it's not true. <laughs> Debunked. <laughs> in fact, in the, in the academy now, if you put that forth, you probably won't be in the academy very long. So what's the reason for creation then? It makes a difference. If you think you came from goop and returned to goop, you have no purpose. It's part of the problem in our Western civilization right now. We teach our kids they came from nothing and wonder why they don't see any purpose in their life. Because if you came from nothing, you don't have any purpose. Not ultimate. You can come up with some stuff. But it's not ultimate. But we do have purpose. You know, the biggest difference between pure evolution and the believing that God is your creator is purpose. You were, you were created for a reason. A universe that exists by design has a purpose. And logically, a universe that exists by pure chance has none. And you can't get away from that. That's just logical. We talked about nihilism. Maybe you remember that where everything is useless. and or, you know, That is the honest answer to atheism, that what atheism is. And Nietzsche, uh, who eventually went nuts because I think he understood the ramifications of his beliefs. You're nothing. You're no different than that weird-looking octopus. You're going to die, they're going to die, one will eat the other, what difference does it make? Yet, creation shows order, beauty, design, all to the glory of God. And we see these verses. Therefore, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Yeah. Psalm 19. O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. Have you made them? All the earth is full of your creation, your creatures. And, you know, Psalm 104 has a lot about creation in there. And this one, toward the end here, to hit this. For by our Lord Jesus Christ, all things were created. Another creation text. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and all things in him hold together. That's a cool verse. The fact that you've breathed how many times today is all because Jesus is making sure it's working for you, because he has the power, because he's Yahweh. So creation's purpose is to show God's glory. That's what it's there for. His greatness and his power and your purpose as his creation is to enjoy him, honor him, and worship him. If you don't want to do that, heaven will be a little bit annoying for you. You think about when you worship, we're going to sing one more song here in just a second, and you get, sometimes you get that worship sermons, you get that mountaintop experience. And it's almost to the point you can't take anymore. That's just a glimmer of heaven. And I think when our new heaven and new earth and our bodies are different and resurrected, we will be able to take a lot more and get to know him even better. That, this is a cool thing to be waiting for. To finish up, good old Sir Francis Bacon, inventor of the BLT. No, he did not. He, came, he was the one that started the scientific method. And he, he was a Christian, you know, hypothesize, test, hypothesize, test, you know, come up with that. And he said in his, his book about that, that God made two books. The book of his words, works, excuse me, where he shows his glory, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the book of his words where he shows his grace. And you have, have to have the second one to know him well. But the other one points to him all the time. So, 
Don't think science is hostile to Yahweh. He's the one that came up with it, and true scientific inquiry will always show his glory. And we can celebrate the order, the wonder of his creation. So think about that. Don't make science. I know we people have done that. Faith and science are not opposites. God created all of this. And through science and wonder, we can know him better through his works. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for giving us what we need in, in creation. Uh, well, we thank you for creating us. You didn't need us, uh, but in some way you wanted us. And we, we thank you for wanting us, to giving us a purpose, uh, showing us your son and wanting to have a relationship with us. May we, as we sing this last song, may we remember that worship is a response to the greatness of who you are. May your spirit touch our hearts as we worship. Amen.